pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for the beautiful summer Sunday. And Lord, we just ask that you would uh, allow us, that you would give us strength to worship you and remember the great messages in these songs. And Lord, that we would not be discouraged when we look out into the world, but we would focus upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And Lord, that you would give us strength to serve you. Lord, we pray that our time here today would enable us to walk closer to you through this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. The book of Colossians. We live in a day and time where everything is called into question. And uh, you just have to enjoy a little bit of the humor of the whole situation here as we are uh, having our president under attack uh, day in, day out on a regular basis. And his faithful lawyer, the best answer he could give is, everybody breaks campaign law. Uh, How many of you read that uh, headline by Rudolph Giuliani? Uh, There is no candidate that hasn't broken campaign law. That's that's such a great defense. Uh, Just love it. Uh, No, I don't. It's it's sad. It's an indictment uh, upon our society. And, And it's just another sign that if... You want to study our history in 1962, the Supreme Court said we can't pray in public schools. In 1962, uh, or what? actually I think the date was 1958, just four years prior, the greatest discipline problem in public schools in 1958. Does anybody want to take a venture at it? Talking in class. Uh, you know what the number one problem we have in schools today is felonious assault, uh, mass shootings, uh, death, violence, and, and the list goes on and on. We're not going to take time to name all the. But what do you expect? And. We, we read through our Bible, and as the pastor of this church, sometimes it, it, I just stop and I think about all the people who have walked through those doors and sat in these pews and then got up and walked somewhere else and, and went other places seeking other things. And, and oftentimes the, the problem is... We're, we're serious about this book. And, and if you're going to be serious about this book, you've got to be serious about something else. It's called personal holiness. Now, I am going to demonstrate, because I'm going to... It, it, uh, we, I say it often here, if you can't be honest in church, where else? where are you going to be honest? But how many of you would say... I have failed in my personal holiness since last Sunday morning. I mean, my hand's up. How about, how about, uh, that's most of us. 
that we're honest. Amen? Because all of us have failed. And yet, I would consider myself a, a mature Christian by, by some measures, uh, being able to pastor a church for 25 years and, and serve the Lord for, uh, well, let's see, it's closing in on uh, uh, this week. will be 30, no, I'm trying to think it out. Uh, this is 2018, right? So that's uh, 23 and 18, uh, make 43 years that I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Of course, I did that at two years. No. Uh, but, uh, no, I'm not afraid of age. I, I did that when I was 11. And trusted the Lord as, as my Savior. You, you would think after 43 years, things would get a little easier. Amen? But they don't. And we live in a world that is just weighted down with sin. And it's easy to get discouraged. So what I'm going to do is try to encourage you today. I'm going to preach on perfection. Amen? Because we are commanded. I mean, we just went through the Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus tell those who were listening? If you're going to enter my kingdom, if you're going to serve me, if you're going to enjoy the blessings of those beatitudes, He said, be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, if that was unattainable, if that was something that cannot happen then why did Jesus tell us to do it? You see, we redefine words. We look for things, and the word perfect is actually a very ancient word in the English language. I looked up a little of the history. It was used regularly in the 1300s, in the 1400s. Uh, all the way through our present day. So the word perfect is, is not a new word. It was not a new word in 1611 when it was chosen to represent the Greek word in the text that we're looking at today. And, and uh, in the word perfect simply means complete. How many of you have ever put together a jigsaw puzzle? And the last piece was missing. Oh, I hate that. Uh, I talked to somebody one time. They told the story. He said, I hid the last piece. So I would be the one that put it in. And then I lost it. it ruined the whole puzzle. Kind of a little too smart there, don't you think? And, and uh, you always find the missing piece after you've thrown the puzzle away. Uh, that's just the way life works, isn't it? But three times in the book of Colossians, this idea of perfection is mentioned. And, and we're going to take an overview of, of the entire book. We're certainly not going to be able to get everything here. But look with me in verse 10 as Paul is starting out. He's kind of giving an overall theme here of chapter 1 of the book of Colossians. 
that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, that sounds like a pretty good working definition of perfect, does it not? Uh, that we would walk worthy of the Lord, that we would please Him in everything we do, that we would be fruitful in, it says, every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power. I love that song that our choir sang this morning. It is finished in the cross. Uh, right there it is. There's a reason for that being up there. You see, we live in a world that is saturated with sin and failure and corruption. But we also live in a world that is just so fascinated with two letters. M-E. Me. I mean, the most important letter in the alphabet, in sign language, I. Uh, Everything is about me, my, mine. And then we wonder why we get discouraged trying to live for Christ. I, I don't know how many sermons I've preached over the years. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. But if we failed in our personal holiness since last Sunday, which most of us have, if we're honest, unless you locked yourself in a room, but... I was joking with Hannah about someone we know, and he said, oh, he always has a miserable time on vacation. And the reason he does is because he can't leave himself here and still go on vacation. He's got to take himself with him. And he's a miserable person, and it's just going to take... You can't get past yourself. But... If we want perfection, and the Bible says that we should have it. And Paul's going to go through this book, and we're going to look at three main verses and try to put them in their context here. But let's let's go down to verse 28 of chapter 1 and, and get started this morning. It says, Whom we preach, talking about Jesus Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to the working which worketh in me mightily. Now, someone might uh, mistake this a little bit, and and certain uh, men certainly have through the years. And Paul says, listen, I, I am laboring that you might be perfect, through the thing that is working in me mightily. And so, how many people have you met said, well, I'm the sum total of all perfection. If you'll just follow me, everything will be perfect. How many of you met somebody like that? Uh, I mean, I certainly have. I've met a lot of them over the years. Most of them call themselves politicians, but that's not all they lie about, isn't it? 
I mean, come on, let's let's think about this this morning. I remember sitting in a class in a Bible college, which shall go unnamed, and the professor there noticed that we were visiting a, a small group of us who were traveling with Brother Clayton, and he decided to change his notes in uh, I, I hope he was changing his notes for our benefit, but uh, he, he was teaching on Sunday school, and about ten times in the 20 minutes that we were in his class, he said, well, since we have one of the largest Sunday schools in the whole world, it might do you a little well to pay attention to what we do here. And I'm sitting there going, that's not what Paul was talking about. Do you know what Paul was talking about? He's talking about Antioch and Poseidon, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, Ephesus, Corinth, Philippi. Paul was talking about churches being started. He said, that's what's working in me mightily. And because that's working in me mightily, I want you at Colossus to have that same working. That's why I wrote the letter. Paul had never visited the city of Colossus. He had never seen, uh, been in a church service there. Paul did not start this church. It was someone from another church that Paul had started, came over and started this church. Uh, we have Brother Folger coming out on the 30th of September and preaching a men's meeting there for the Northeast and then preaching for us on that Sunday. And, and uh, I'll tell you, I'm going to try to work it in so that uh, he can at least uh, go over and see the Union Baptist Church and, because those are grandbabies. Uh, and, and those are fun uh, they say, well, the thing that makes grandbabies so much fun is you can always give them back. And uh, uh, I, I think the thing that makes grandbabies so much fun is simply this. You get to pick them up and play with them, but they're not your responsibility. You get to watch your children train their children. That's, that's what's really cool. And you remember, hey... I don't know if I was that smart when they were that young, but we'll, we'll trust that the Lord is improving things here. Amen? And, and uh, moving things on. But Paul was saying, listen, I am trying to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, how can you be perfect in Christ Jesus? I think we addressed that in Sunday school. Andrew did. It's very easy. You've got to get saved. That's, that's all there is to it. But we know a lot of people that attend church and faithful and stay here and you would think. But there's sometimes a little doubt. Did that person really trust Jesus as their Savior? That's really bad when you're standing there at that person's funeral and you just have to wonder a little bit of what was left on there. But how does someone stand perfect in Christ? Leaving no doubt 
that you were saved 100%. You know, salvation is an either 100% all the way proposition or 0%. You cannot be 10% saved. Uh, You cannot be 90% saved. You're either saved or you're lost. Someone comes and as many, many have over the years, and they say, Pastor, I'm, uh, I'm having some doubts about my salvation. I'm just not quite sure. And the first thing I say is, number one, we've got to start at this point. Either you're saved or you're lost. You're not in between. You're not halfway there. You cannot be halfway saved. Jesus does not have birth defects. Can we say amen to that? That ought to be encouraging to you. It is to me. Because if there's any way to do something wrong, I usually find out how to do it. But it's wonderful thing knowing that when Jesus saves me, He does it. And I can stand perfect before God in Jesus Christ. I want us to turn here, if we could, to Romans chapter 3. Very familiar passage. Romans chapter 3. And I just want to read you a verse in Proverbs. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. I mean, sometime we'll have to spend the whole Sunday on Proverbs 11.5, but the, the righteousness of the perfect directeth his way. But the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. How many wicked people have destroyed himself? Wow. If you ever want something just absolutely hilarious, I don't know if it's still available or not. If you find it, let me know. But Paul Harvey's stories of dumb criminals. I mean, it is fantastic. Uh, Just one quick one that I remember so affectionately. A a dear fellow was having problems with his marriage. And he was also having problems keeping a job. So he's having problems paying alimony. So he's having all kinds of problems. And somebody told him, if you're in jail, you can't pay alimony. He said, that's pretty cool. So he walks into the neighborhood bank with a ski mask on and says, I'm here to rob the bank. And the teller says, whatever his name was, we'll just pick out Frank. Frank, what are you doing? He says, I'm here to rob the bank. He says, you dummy, stop it before I have to call the police. He says, no, I'm going through with this thing. Then he found out that robbing the bank was a federal offense. He came with a mandatory sentence of 10 to 12 years in a federal penitentiary. Well, he wasn't paying alimony, but he was sure paying an awful lot of other things. Not real smart. You know, we hear all how smart all of the criminals and all of the dumb people are. I mean, all the criminals and all the corrupt people are. How wise and how smart and how intelligent. 
Don't believe him for a second. You want to have something worth having. Stand perfect in Jesus Christ. Let's look at Romans 3. I hope you're there by now. Verses 21. And we'll start reading here. But but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Did you get that? Look at look carefully. Even the righteousness, verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe. You see, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was given God's righteousness by believing on Jesus. How did that happen? Through the cross. Jesus paid for every sin, past, present, and future. The moment I got saved, God's righteousness was imparted to me. How can you stand perfect before God? You have to be perfectly righteous. How does that work? You've got to get it somewhere else because it isn't coming from you. And when you believe on Jesus, He gives you perfect righteousness. What I love those words in verse 22. What's it? Uh, let's just read it one more time. Unto all and upon all them that believe. If you want to stand perfect before God, first thing you got to do is you got to get saved. Because God gives you a perfect salvation. No one, no one has ever lost their salvation. The devil has never taken back one soul that God has claimed. The problem is, so many have made a false profession of faith. A profession of faith that depended upon them. A profession of faith that was not... People say, well, I just don't know if I really, really meant it. I'll tell you what, I remember living that as a young uh, teenage boy before I got saved. My teacher told me, when I was five years old, if you really mean it, God will save you. And I spent the rest, uh, next several years of my life trying to really mean it. Now, what does that, what in the world can anybody define really mean it? I, I can't. Not to this day. But I do remember when I stopped really trying, trying to really mean it. And just said, Jesus, if you're going to save me, you've got to do it. You know what? That's when he did. And he gave me his righteousness. Oh, wait, I'm not worthy to wear that, are you? Oh, wait a minute. The whole purpose of this book was that you might walk worthy. 
God's put it on you anyway. Just like the prodigal son. You don't deserve it. Because if you did, then it wouldn't be grace. Amen? And so as we look at what God has done here, it's a perfect righteousness. We can stand perfect before God. Would you grasp this morning that your number one issue of your entire life, if you do not settle anything else, if you never accomplish anything, if you never hold a job, if you never learn to read or write, if you never do anything else, and yet you've settled the issue of your personal salvation, You've lost nothing. Amen? Now, I dare say, there is no excuse for not learning to read and write. Amen? Uh, There is no excuse for not holding a job. There's no excuse for not participating in life. But, my friend, the number one problem... is your relationship with God. Why don't we deal with that first? Because we're too busy taking care of me. Or making excuses. Oh, I just love it. Well, nobody's perfect. I am. The Bible says so. I am perfect before God in Jesus Christ. And therefore, I don't have time or effort to waste wallowing around in this world, feeling sorry for myself, being discouraged by all the other crumbs that share this planet with me. I've got a service to the God who made me perfect in His righteousness. I've got something to do. Now, let's read on through the book here. Let's go to chapter 3 and verse 14 of the book of Colossians, if you would. And this is the second time that this, uh, the word perfect is used, or a form of it, actually. Whoa, that's Philippians. I love Philippians chapter 3, but we're in Colossians chapter 3. And we start in verse 1. He says, if ye, there, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your effect." Affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Well, that that would solve a lot of problems right there, but let's skip down to verse 14. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of... What's that next word there? Perfectness. Ooh, now I like that word. When you put ness on the end of the word, that's a state of being. I stand perfect before God in Christ Jesus through what He did on the cross because He saved me. No other reason. When I believed, God gave me His righteousness. By the way, that righteousness will direct you in every decision of life if you'll just follow what the Bible says. Amen? And here it says... 
You read the verse before it, it says, Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Whoa, wait, now that's, that's a tough verse, isn't it? I remember my dad saying one time, he said, I don't know about you boys. He said, if anybody tries to pick on one of you, they got to deal with all three. But if you guys don't got anybody to fight, you fight among yourselves. Now, that's pretty much human nature, isn't it? Because we always got to find something to agitate with. How many of you say, I've got a gift for finding the problems in life? Don't raise your hand. If you have that gift, you need to confess it to the Lord. Amen? Uh, Unfortunately, most of us do. But as Paul was talking about aggravation and dissension and frustration here, he says, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, that, that's an interesting word, bond, because we have lots of bonds in New York City. Uh, Wall Street is full of bonds. And uh, anytime you get construction work done, uh, you need a certificate of insurance or a bond of some kind. It's, it's a proof of good faith. It proves that when you start the job, you're going to finish the job. There, there's just a, a, a neat little thing here, if we'll just take that word. The bond of perfectness is charity. Now, let's go to a passage that we labor over and will labor over till Jesus comes back. That's 1 John chapter 4. You see, charity is not just love. If it were just love, then that's the word that they would use. But our translators picked a different word because the word charity is all about love, but it's love put into action. It's love that does something. And uh, nobody wants to be accused of being the second grader who wrote the note, I love you, do you love me? Circle one, yes, no, maybe, and you don't sign the note. Uh, I mean, now, was my second grade class the only one that did that? Everybody looks at me kind of weird when I use that illustration. But I do see some smiles, so I know there were some other people who wrote notes like that. And that's not love, my friend. Love does something, does it not? Love is action. That's why the Bible tells us that God is love. And we look at verse 12. And it says, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And His love is... Oh, there's that word again. His love is perfected in us. How can I have loves uh, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness? Well, in verse 12, As I take God's love to other people, God's love is perfected in my life. What did Jesus tell the disciples? They shall know ye are my disciples. 
how? What was the defining characteristic? By your love, one for another. Now, I don't know if you've met as many of the disciples of Christ as I have, as many saved people as I have, but uh, there's quite a few uh, disciples of Jesus Christ, servants of Jesus Christ, that aren't quite what we would consider lovely. You know why? Because they're still human. Now, I don't know if I'm touching too close to home or if everybody's asleep, but let's, let's try this. How many of you have met another Christian that wasn't very lovely? That wasn't easy to love? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have been a Christian that's not easy to love? Every hand should go up on that one now, shouldn't it? Listen. If we're going to perfect God's love in us, aren't you glad that God loved the whole world? That He sent His only begotten Son. If we're going to put this charity on, it starts by allowing God's love to flow through us. And I want you to look at verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is... So are we in this world. Now, I'll tell you what, I've, I've never read any commentary, and I've read every one I can get my hands on on this passage that just gives you a decent answer to this. As he is, so are we in this world. That's actually pretty simple, isn't it? Who did God send into the world to take his love to the world? Me? You? Because as he is, because God's in heaven and God is love, he has put us in this world to bring the message of his love, not only to the unsaved, but to other believers in Jesus Christ. See, charity is the bond of perfectness. When I'm able to love people... Now, I will just make a statement here. There are some people who will not be loved. But that shouldn't be your fault. Amen? If they refuse God's love, there's nothing you can do about it. But you can still have it there ready and waiting anytime they're ready. That's the way God works, isn't it? Are any of us perfect in this? Using the word again? No. But we can strive toward it. You know how we strive toward it? We lose ourselves in the love of God. We think more about God than our... That's what the next verse is talking about. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. When when you have fear and and problems, and um, especially in a marriage, 
You know what? A husband ought not be afraid of his wife. And a wife ought not be afraid of her husband. Unfortunately, in the ministry over these years, I've, I've met both. I remember this great big strapping guy. He says, we got a problem with abuse in our family. And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I could see that. You, you just look like the kind of guy. I'm thinking this in my mind. You look like the kind of guy that just slap a little girl around. That wasn't what was happening. He was the one getting slapped around. It was hilarious. I'm sitting there going, what is wrong with you? But I'll tell you what was wrong. It was a perverted form of love. Real love isn't afraid. You know, the Calvinist has to go to such extreme logical precipice and jump off by saying that God only loves those people who got saved and doesn't love the people who didn't get saved because the blood of Jesus is powerful. It cannot be rejected. You know, wow. That had to come from somebody's mind because it's not in the Bible. Jesus' whole ministry, if you're here on Sunday mornings, we're going through the Gospels right now. Jesus' whole ministry was about people who refused to accept the love that Jesus was offering to them. If you kept up with your Bible reading, just read the story of the rich young ruler, right? Jesus loved him. And he said, how hardly shall a rich man enter into the kingdom of heaven? Not because he was being mean and sarcastic. Because he was trying to shake this man to his roots and make him understand, you leave me, you're leaving an eternity with God. And yet he did. Because he wasn't going to let go of what he had. To embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a world that's full of fear, do we not? In fact, if you study, I think it was his name was Adler or Alder or something like that. A great, uh, great, excuse me, parentheses, great psychologist who developed an entire uh, system of psychology dev- uh, devoted to the issue of fear. Well, you know how to never have to see an Adlering psychiatrist. Love God, it casts out fear. And then you don't do anything because of fear. You do it because of love. You see, we love God because He first loved us. Have you ever thought about that? Again, it, it just... It just tunnels under the pinnings, the foundation of the whole Calvinist way of thinking and destroys it all. Uh, We're not robots. But if we will accept what God has done for us, I'm perfect in Jesus Christ. I can then put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. I can allow God's love to be perfected in my life. I can actually care about other people. And not expect anything in return. 
I can care about other people because God cares about them. You know how safe that is? I don't have to have your response for me to do right. We live in a world where everyone justifies their behavior. If God is your justification, you don't have to worry about what the world or any other person thinks. You'll be perfect in Jesus Christ, perfect in your salvation, perfect in love. You see, one more verse. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Have you ever thought about how powerful God's love is? It is so incredible. It is so powerful. You cannot hold it. You cannot hoard it. You cannot store it up. If you have it, you've got to give it to somebody else. That's how God's love works. That is perfection in love. The bond of perfectness is charity. Now, let's go back to the book of Colossians, and I'll try to have you out of here before 1 o'clock, okay? No, it's not too long yet. Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to finish through this. Uh, Paul, as he typically does in his epistles, and uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, he... he <coughs> He gives commandments to the different people groups. He tells fathers and husbands and wives and and children and servants and masters all how to obey. And he's finishing that up at the beginning of chapter 4 here. And we come down to verse 12. As Paul is starting to name names and give the ending salutation to his letter, he says, Epaphras who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Wow. Now, if you'll flip over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. It says, As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. In the book of Philemon, Epaphras is addressed, uh, given the title of fellow prisoner. Epaphras at one time was the pastor of the church here at Coloss. But he wasn't there. If we understand Philemon correctly, he was in jail with Paul. Not a great place to be. Fellow prisoner, it says. And Paul's, as he was writing to the Colossians, he says, Epaphras is with me. I want you to know something. He can't be with you right now. Because he's in jail with me. But he is praying for you every day. He is praying. He is laboring as he can. And here's what he's praying for. That ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. 
Now, I, I don't want a raise of hands here. I don't want someone to take something upon themselves that is not. But if you would just ask this question. Am I accomplishing the will of God with my life? Well, wait a minute. I'm not a preacher. Uh, it, Paul didn't say here that Epaphras was only praying for the man who took his position as pastor of this church, that he would be perfect in the will of God. He said, I'm praying for every member of that church, that you would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. One of the things that we, we have to ask ourselves, am I fulfilling God's will in my life? Paul says, listen, you are perfect in salvation. You are to be robed in charity, which is the bond of perfectness. If you're perfectly saved, and you are because that's the only way God saves anybody... That salvation, as he told the Philippians, ought to be working out of you, ought to be working in a way that reaches out and touches other people in what we would call love. And the labor of the pastor, the purpose of the church, the reason we gather together here on Sunday mornings is because one day we're going to have to stand before God and give an account of our life. And we need to be ready. We, I, I'll tell you what, I want for myself, I want for every person who has ever been a member of this church, every person who's ever walked through the door, if, if that were possible, to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You know what the hardest thing is to do? Is what you're supposed to do. Isn't it? I mean, the hardest thing for us to do is that Daily living for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the battle really is. Sometimes someone will come and they'll have something. And one of the questions, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? The only problem is I'm talking to a grown-up. You know, so many of us live in that world where one of these days, this is what's going to... This is what I'm going to be one of these days. Did God ask for Moses, what, are, what is your potential? What are you going to do? What, what can you do for me? Or did he say, what is that in thine hand? That's a whole other sermon, but God's not interested in all of these things that you think you might be able to do. We... We, we live in a world where it's just so easy to, to recoil from reality and live in a fantasy world. People go on these internet chats, I guess, and they can be anybody or anything that they ever wanted to be. And let me tell you something. 
If you can put it online, there's somebody out there dumb enough to believe it. I mean, that's just where it is. I remember a guy coming and he says, well, I, I have a ministry. I said, really, what is it? He says, I answer people's Bible questions online. And I said, well, uh, how about this one? Are you saved? And he was like, well, um, uh, uh, what do you mean by that? And I'm going, you're answering people's questions about the Bible online, and I ask you the most basic question of all, and you can't even answer it honestly. Tell me what's going on here. What's wrong with this picture? I guess I offended him. He never came back, but we don't. This church isn't for that kind of people. You see, God has a plan and a purpose for every one of us in life. He has things He wants us to do. He has a will. He has a plan for us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your what? Your bodies. God, God doesn't want what you don't have. He doesn't want what you can potentially produce someday. He wants you just as you are. And He wants to use you just as you are. But if He's going to do that... Here's the good part. He's got to fix you first. Amen? God loves you so much, you must come to Him just as you are. But He's not going to let you stay that way. He's going to fix you. That's not the end goal. That's the problem with the purpose-driven life. The end goal is God's going to fix me. No! The end goal is to stand perfect and complete in all His will, having done something that matters. Why do people worry about their presidents, worry about their legacy, and, and, and all of the... It's because they haven't done anything, that's why. You ought to read the memoirs of some people that weren't concerned with what other people thought of them. Uh, I've got one that is really good reading. General Douglas MacArthur. Read his memoirs. It'll change the way you think about things. There's a sliver of hope that he might be on the right side of eternity, but it's only a sliver. But you read about men like George Washington and John Adams... How many of you know that John Adams was the defense attorney for the British soldiers that killed the colonists during what was called the Boston Massacre? Didn't get him a great deal of popularity in the state of Massachusetts where he was a lawyer there. By the way, they were all acquitted, which angered a great many people. But Mr. Adams said, I have a principle that's higher than the desires of any man. It's to follow God. 
You see, I haven't finished my course. Neither have most of us in here. But there's a labor that we're involved in. If you want to know what church is about, it's so that one day we can stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. But you can't do it if you're not here. You say, well, what am I supposed to... How about you just start with the little things? Get saved. And then uh, get baptized. Identify with Jesus Christ and His church that's here in Astoria. You say, but pastor, all I do is come services and pass out tracts. Oh, well, if you're fulfilling the will of God in your life, what more could you ask for? Hello? It's not fantastic and wonderful things that make you perfect. It's accepting God's perfect salvation. It is letting the righteousness that He gives make decisions for us. It is putting on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And I can't put on charity unless I'm touching other people's lives. Biblically. And if I'll just walk in the path that he has set before me I can stand perfect and complete in all the will of God my life will have counted because God said so remember a few years ago uh, how many of you have gotten those uh, advertisements for who's who Uh, I remember my first one was when I was a high school student. Who's who among high school students? All you have to do is fill out this form. You've been chosen because of your grade point average and your da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know what that is? It's a sales call for you to buy their books. That's all it is. Who cares If your name is in who's who, is that going to be your standard? If God says you're somebody, wouldn't you grandly trade all of the accolades that this world could offer? Hello? God says, I want you to be perfect. Jesus said, you're supposed to be perfect because God is perfect. Perfect in Him by salvation. You've got to accept that robe of righteousness from Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm not worthy, but He says, now that you have it on, I want you to walk like you are. Amen? And then I can put on the robe of charity, which is the bond, the proof of perfectness. Wow. 
And if I just walk in the path that He has set out for me, it's not a long thing, it's not a complicated thing. I can stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. My life will count it for Jesus. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing more you could ask for than that. How about that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would encourage us in this truth, in this command of being perfect. And Lord, the great enemy pride always wants to jump in. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, there's no room for pride to be there. If we understand where the love comes from, if we understand that being in the will of God is simply being led by the righteousness of God, it will take us so far into understanding how much it is about you and how little it is about us. Lord, we need to understand these commands. We need to understand the biblical idea of perfection. And most importantly, Lord, we need to live it each and every day. We ask that you would work in hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The hymn of invitation 301 as Andrew comes to lead us. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open. If you're not sure about your salvation, would you come forward and let us take the Bible and show you how you may know your salvation.